Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of The Only Podcast. I am your co-host, Austin Smith, joined as always by your other co-host, John Kirby. You can find us on Twitter at ACSmith06 and at John underscore Kirby. And as always, follow the mothership at The Only Colors. Today is Tuesday, November 24th, and um, as we all know, Michigan State is a hockey school. I think people forget that sometimes, John. Yeah, Michigan State hands Arizona State their first loss and tie this past weekend. And people, what they don't realize is that going 1-0-1 in hockey is actually better than going 2-0 in football. So that's the way it is. It's worth it's worth points. People forget. Hockey is, is interesting like that. Um, <laughs> I think the more surprising thing that I learned is that um, Arizona State is apparently like a really good hockey school. Like, I'm also just, I'm not sure how I feel about, like, Arizona State being allowed to, A, be a hockey school, and B, just being so involved in my life in the past handful of years. Like, I I wasn't, I wasn't ready. I I wasn't ready for the the impact of Arizona State in the Smith household. I just wasn't. I agree, and I would, I would, you know, I would think that they should at least change their nickname for the hockey team from, like, Sun Devils to, like, I don't know, the Ice Devils. Or something like it just makes demons. Sense. You can't have heat involved in your nickname if you're a hockey. Like the Flames should, in Calgary never made sense to me. It should be like a sun miser heat or a cold miser thing, you know, from oh, the those old from those old like super creepy puppet movies. Yep. Um, exactly I think what you're talking about. I know what you're talking about. I love it. Yeah, except it should be the uh, one where it was. Uh, oh, who was it? It was. Um, one of the old SNL actors, for some reason, was was like the heat miser and the. Oh the, yeah, <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. I cannot yeah. remember what his name is for the life of me, but I think it should be just him. And you know who I think would appreciate that is uh, Herm Edwards. So I think we should do Herm a solid here and like okay. really make a nice topical, you know, several years old reference. Yeah, hockey really moving up in our favorite sons category. I don't want to say passing football, but making it. Making its case. Well, this is one of those where, like, one kid gets, like, a B plus in, the, like, the other kid. There's two kids. One is, like, a C student. The other is an A student. And the A student gets an A minus, and you're kind of like, meh. And then the other kid gets a B plus, and you're like, whoa, like, hey, good for and you. So we, yeah, showing them a little extra love and attention <laughs> to make the old uh, A minus kid jealous. Now, who knows if it'll work? They may rebel. We just, we can't be sure. But uh, I think I, I don't know. I think this is the parenting strategy we're going to go with on this podcast. Okay, so I'm going to use that to segue perfectly into um, 
the fact that Tom Izzo still will not commit to his starters. Oh my gosh. Going into uh, the game on Wednesday and said that uh, the t- there will be uh, starters of these seven guys. Bingham, Kithier, Foster, Rocket, and then Hauser, Henry, and Langford. So it's pretty obvious who's on the bubble, but to your B-minus analogy, that's very much Rocket and Foster Lawyer at this point. Oh, absolutely. It, it's all a motivation tactic. That's, that's all it is. Like, we know. Everybody knows. Like, mm-hmm. the, the teachers know. Like, ev- everyone's aware of the situation. But, you know, the games we play to get the most out of our, our – uh, our players is or students or just people in general. Um, it's important, but yeah, I thought that was kind of funny. And I thought when comp tweeted it today and left Aaron Henry out, uh, that I thought that was actually pretty funny as well. Was there uh, just chaos yeah. in the replies? <laughs> the ratio got pretty aggressive, pretty fast. And I just tweeted back. I said, ah, I don't know, Jim. <laughs> so just, like, you know, you're forgetting like what you could make of, Probably a logic, a very logical argument is the surest thing of the entire group, uh, is the one you decided to leave off. I thought that was funny. And if, and, and, and what if he, what if Aaron Henry just didn't start? <laughs> like what, I, love it. I don't even know how I'd react. It'd be like, oh, 2020, you, you rascal. What are you, <laughs> what are you up to now? The thing uh, is about it is like nothing can even shake me. And <laughs> you just look so, at it and you say, good. Yeah, I don't care. Good. I like it. Earn it. <laughs> um, with that, Michigan State tips off this week. You and I were texting. We don't know how this ha- happened. It really snuck up on us. Michigan State doesn't have just one, but two games this week. But I will caveat, Austin. We think the basketball season might play out a lot like the college football season in the sense that we might be doing previews for games that don't happen. So yeah. just strap in for that but yeah so the you know feel free to play that very small violin for us on weeks where we talk about games that simply don't take place um feeling good yeah, it, i think that is a good that is good that's a good a good like uh thing to make the people aware of because it's i mean it, you're already seeing games get canceled season openers have already been canceled uh, a few times this week and if any you know in the the people which you should be worried about is us not like exactly. anyone else we're the ones that are <laughs> Podcasters, uh, podcasters first, as they say. Yeah. So Eastern Michigan this week and then Notre Dame on Saturday. Awesome. Let's get back into midseason form. Let's do a preview, huh? Feels good. It, it really okay. does. I, the fact that we're talking about basketball is really kind of blowing my mind. But, um, did some, some mild research. Also, gone are the days of the preseason games that don't count. So we're jumping right into games mm-hmm. that are going to reflect on your record. So, um, some stakes right off the bat. Although, uh, as you look at and as we talk about Eastern Michigan, um, yeah, this is about as, as low stakes as you're going to get from an opponent all year. I think, I don't think it's a stretch to say this is one of the, I don't know, two or three easiest games I'm she's going to have on the schedule this year. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, they're, that's fair? I think they're better than Western and Oakland. Okay. Um, but, but yeah, it's a good test and an odd test, right? Austin, we talked about it on the preview pod. This is a team that we think, um, is going to show a lot of two, three zone, um, which is bad news for, uh, for Eastern Michigan. Because, uh, if any, if last year's any indication, Michigan State won that game 101 to 48 and Foster Lawyer went three of four from three. 
I'm all about starting this year off with the hype train in full steam ahead for Foster. <laughs> oh man. And no game could, could set it up better than this one probably. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you think about what you want from your pre, call it preseason, early season, non-con opponents, uh, especially those that are just talent wise, not on the same level, you want at least some type of weird challenge, like something to make your players think during these games. And, you know, when you play the teams that press a lot, you play the teams mm-hmm. with one superstar at a weird position, you play teams that play a 2-3 zone, you know, that's kind of the test that you're looking for. And to see how Michigan State solves it, I think, is probably the most interesting storyline from this game because, uh, you know, as you look at the rosters from a talent perspective, um, not a ton that's going to jump out of you from, from Eastern's, uh, you know, from, from their arsenal of players. They went, uh, 16 and 16 overall last year, six and 12 in the Mac. Um, biggest thing for them, they do return their leading scorer, Ty Gross, uh, who averaged only 11 and a half points and five assists a game. Um, they did lose their leading rebounder, which, uh, was a guy that averaged almost a double double last year, if I remember correctly, when upon looking at these stats. Yeah, Bubakar Touare, or, uh, Toure, uh, averaged 10.7 points and 9.3 boards a game, as well as a block and a half. So losing a big man in the center, uh, that's going to be something they're going to have to grapple with as a team and, uh, tough going, uh, to draw Michigan State first. Um, I will say they do bring back a, massive center. No idea if this kid will play, but he's a seven foot center uh, named Axel Okongo, who is seven feet two. Exactly. That's, that's what you need to know. You may not see him on the floor. He is is there. Yeah. He looks, listen, whether he's actually good or not, really sort of irrelevant because he looks like he's awesome. Uh, And honestly, I'd bring him out there just as an intimidation thing. This is a get off the bus guy. Uh, Oh yeah. Big, big shorts guy. Um, you know, Austin, I do this with every single preview is that I, the, the pendulum swings from there. Michigan State will definitely lose this game to <laughs> there's no way we could lose this game. And the other you know, team might not score. And you, and you know how I, you know, every game I swing back and forth on that. And, and you know where I'm at in the mental state based on the text messages you're receiving. Right. And, 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 and the time and of have, day slash night at which I receive them is usually a pretty good indicator. And, and generally <laughs> Austin just kind of nods and lets me just kind of live through it, you know, kind of work through it. Uh, it's I tweeting say, through it without having to have everybody know about it, exactly. which I respect. So, you know, Eastern Michigan, I was like, oh, man, they they have five seniors starting. They bring back so much of their production from last year. You know, they're, they they run a 2-3. Two, two, that could get kind of wonky. They have a really strong center in the middle. You know, what does that mean for us? And I think what everyone needs to it, – it, like you said at the beginning, this is an awesome test when there's a quirk. And, you know, you see how a team can adjust to other teams' quirks. And – um, you know, their three-point shooting for Michigan State is going to be there. The shots are going to be there. Did I hit them? You hope so. Um, and then the other piece, you mentioned their best rebounder is gone. We didn't really talk about, the, about this on the preview pod, Austin, but the fact that Michigan State's best rebounder from last year is gone is a bigger deal than I think I than, – than maybe we made it out to be. Like, it's a huge deal. Xavier Tillman was on pace to, you know, maybe break the single season record for rebounds in a year. He was a, 
black hole, you know, when the ball's off the rim. When yeah. we talk about who's going to play the five, I'd focus less about who can put the ball in the bucket um, and more on who can who can be a vacuum on the boards. That'll get you playing time, I think. Yeah, I think that's what probably the, I would imagine the message has been to that, you know, glut of three or four guys that are, you know, probably going to, you know, the Kithier Marbles, Sissokos, Binghams of the world. I think about it like a guy like Marcus Bingham, like, I'm sure those are kind of table stakes for playing time at that position. Like either you are going to rebound the ball because we need you to rebound the ball or you're not going to play. So that's where I think, you know, we talked about a guy like Kithy or a guy like Marble where maybe like the overall skill or the potential ceiling isn't where it would be for a Bingham or a Sissoko. But if you're going to come in and be that garbage man and do the dirty work whenever she's going to need it, especially early in the season when you're going to get that chance, you're going to be able to carve out a decent little role for yourself. So, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It's a huge storyline. I mean, everybody wants to talk about Cassius Winston, but realistically, Xavier Tillman, best post defender, best rebounder. Uh, yeah. I think probably pound for pound best shot blocker, even though Bingham yeah, was very rim good. protector. Yeah. In everything, you know, it's, it's, there's not a lot he didn't do. And, um, I think, maybe this game isn't the best example of, of, oh wow, it's going to be a real test here, but especially because it's against a zone. So I would think hopefully these guys can do a decent job on the boards, but, um, yeah, that's absolutely a storyline we're going to have to pay attention to. And I, I think a really interesting thing, especially in these early games, you can only read so much into it in, in a game like this, but rotation, uh, to see who gets in when, um, at least in the early stages, like, you know, who's this, who are the sixth and seventh men? I think it's kind of, uh, you know, obviously it evolves over time, but that's going to be a very interesting storyline to watch here as in the, in the very early part of the season. Yeah. And before we jump to Notre Dame, I think there's, there's one more thing to consider is that whenever, you know, you play a, an overmatched team, the, as everyone knows, the three pointer is, is the great equalizer. Uh, Eastern Machine didn't not shoot the three ball well last year. And, um, unless there was a big jump in the off season, these are the same guys. They shot about 33% or from the floor and as a team and their best three point shooter is Thomas Beninili, who is actually from <laughs> Italy. So I feel okay doing that. And he's that good. He's 6'10. Uh, he loved the team and three pointers made. Unfortunately for him, he also shot 31%. So, um, yeah, you know, I, you feel okay about the upset opportunity not being there, if only because that the equalizer is, is been a, a point of weakness for them in the past. Yeah, I mean, their, their niche thing is going to be, um, that zone. And you know, listen, the only way this game should be even remotely close should be if MSU just simply cannot hit shots. I mean, that's, to me, that's the only, uh, the only thing that makes this even a, rem- a remotely close game. Um, so I think the exciting things to watch in this one are not necessarily, you know, maybe the final score, but more of those little ins and outs and storylines, um, that come along with the yeah. yeah. Who can be the, who can, which big man can be the best distributor in the middle of that zone? You know, that's going to get you the playing time in this game. Who's going to rebound, you know, who can, who can hit the the shots in the corner that are created? Can Gabe Brown, can he step up to the occasion? Can Foster Larry step up to the occasion? Lots mm-hmm. of things to, to watch. We are just so freaking excited. And, and you know, that brings us to the first kind of big game of the year, uh, Notre Dame. 
on Saturday. Um, a big name, but maybe the program, as we had talked about in the last podcast, uh, I don't want to say on hard times, but they were really, you know, humming for a minute back there, but they haven't made the tournament since 2017. Yeah. I mean, the days of Luke Herringody, for those who remember him, are, uh, are no longer. Um, like you said, I was actually surprised to see that, that they haven't made the tournament since 2017. I think Mike Bray is a pretty good coach. I know they've had some injury issues where some of their best players have, have gotten hurt. Um, last year, I think they were kind of the quintessential bubble team. I mean, 20 and 12, 500 in the ACC. I will say that was a good ACC last year. So maybe yep. there is something, something to that. Um, but man, uh, it, it's, it's shaping up to be a rough season for a couple reasons. The first is that their non-con schedule is brutal. I mean, it would make even Michigan State blush. I mean, you've got at Michigan State, number 13, and then you follow that up with games against Tennessee who's number 12 in the preseason poll, home against Ohio State, number 23 in the preseason poll, and then at number 10, Kentucky. Now, some of those might be part of preseason tournaments. I didn't do the research. Just staying on brand. But those four <laughs> uh, those four games against four really tough opponents um, who all kind of play a little bit of a different style and I are going to, if one thing only, really out-talent Notre Dame. And one of the main reasons for that is their best player – John Mooney, who last year averaged a double-double, 16 and 12, uh, is no longer there. And that is, I mean, that's going to always be tough to replace. I mean, we're talking about it with guys like Cassius Winston and, and Xavier Tillman. Um, I think it's even tougher to replace when it's really just one guy and you don't maybe have the talent in the pipeline that a Michigan State is, is lucky enough to have. Um, and it's, you, you don't have, there's just not a lot to, to write home about. Um, they do, however, have a lot of upperclassmen and a lot of guards. That is one thing I noticed in looking through, and, and I kind of remember this from watching this team last year, not a ton of size. Even Mooney, I think, was a little undersized for his um, stats that he put up. Uh, but lots of upperclassmen. Really, the, the I picked out three or four names to really keep an eye on, the main one being Prentice Hub, who is, uh, I believe, a senior point guard. Last year, led the team in minutes and assists. He uh, averaged 12 and 5. He's you know, no pun intended. No, yes, pun intended. He's going to be the hub of the entire offense, really the distributor, distributor, the thing that makes it go. Um, I would anticipate seeing Rocket Watts on him a good amount. And I would say if he's not going, it's going to be, it's going to be tough for them because they don't have a ton of shooting. They don't have a ton of size, really only two guys in Juwan Durham and Nate Lazuski, uh, both of whom are over 6'10 that are, are going to be able to do much on the boards. Um, one thing to point out with Durham is that he is a big-time shot blocker. So uh, when you think about game plan for Michigan State, you're going to want to go after the guy who averages two blocks a game, try to get him off the court. I would imagine that would be one thing MSU tries to do early, uh, go at Durham and Hub and kind of make the other guys beat you. So that's sort of the team that Notre Dame brings to the table this year. It's really, you know, uh, until they get the time to have develop the rest of the rotation, maybe have another guy kind of break out, which is something we see every single year from a lot of good teams. And not to say that can't happen, but – when you're looking at this team on paper right now, it's it's Hub, Durham, and then uh, a lot of unknowns. So I'd anticipate MSU really attacking those two players offensively and, um, you know, kind of running a lot of fresh bodies at them because that is one of the luxuries they have. You know, we talk about, hey, who's going to play between Foster and Rocket? Well, both of them are going to play in this one, and they're both going to be able to go up at Hub. And then who's going to play at center? Well, we got three or four guys who can play there got to think Michigan State's going to throw a lot of those fresh bodies uh, at these two and really try to use that to their advantage in this game. 
So Absolutely. That, Notre Dame Notre Dame has no depth, you know, at least to speak yeah. of yet. You know, this is their second game too, and they have fresh frankly didn't play. The dog's going the dog's going ham, John. Side, I would say, so you know, they, they frankly didn't have they they're gonna not gonna have freshmen that are able to come in and play right away. They're not unless someone really jumps up, like they're just simply do not have the uh upper end recruits coming in either. So you're looking at essentially a team that's going to kind of um, be very well tested at the end of the year, but how many wins they have, I don't know. It's going to be maybe tough slotting. Yeah, this is one of those games where I think if you're Notre Dame or if you're Michigan State, you really kind of you have to kind of cut off the head of the snake that you you know exists, take care of the, the knowns, and then you, you almost kind of tip your hat if the unknowns beat you in a way. Where if somebody comes out of nowhere and has a day, you, you tip your cap and you move on. Um, but when you look at this pound for pound, I mean, Michigan State, you know, for all the questions that they have, the if you're picking out a starting five of who are the five most talented players between these two teams, I think, you know, there's a chance all five of them are in green and white. Uh, and at the very least, I would say the top. Uh, you're going to have th- th- three or four starters at a minimum from from Michigan State's side of that equation. So, uh, yeah, it's MSU should should have a pretty good run in this game, um, hosting them at home too. So, not even like you got to go on the road. Uh, but it'll be interesting. I mean, this this one again, this will be. I really, if I'm picking out a player that, and this isn't going to surprise anybody, but that you really want to pay attention to early in these two games, it Foster Lawyer is going to get his opportunities here early in the season. And he's getting two, one maybe easier challenge from Eastern Michigan, but guarding Prentice Hub and, and really um, being, you know, I, I don't know, effective offensively and especially defensively in this matchup, we're going to find out very fast how viable the improvements in the offseason talk about Foster's ability to play against Good relatively point. high major competition are because Hub is not going to be the best point guard that he has to play yeah. this year. But he's so but, if, but a good one. A good oh no, absolutely. Yeah. He's he's a very high quality guard. I think he's a solid ACC point guard. I mean it it's a really good test, but the fact of the matter is, you know, there are other really really good yeah. Big 10 point guards out there, the AO DeSomos of the world. Yeah. Um, you know, the Brad Davisons of the world, guys that are going to pose very very real high major level type challenges uh in and listen I don't want to say it's it's definitely not an open and shut case after this game no matter what happens, but it's it's an indicator of maybe what we can kind of start to expect. Very kind words to Brad Davison, but point taken off. <laughs> um, yeah, very kind. All right. So um, with that, um, you know, we can't wait to watch hoops. I'm looking forward to hanging out on Twitter during the games. Um, should, you know, unfortunately, Austin, there was not a football game um, this yeah, past weekend. Uh, you know, Maryland, <laughs> unfortunately, uh, was unable to play because of COVID, as everyone knows. Also, Michigan State probably missed out on their best chance on a win, second win for the year, um, unless, you know, Penn State continues to not win, but we'll get to them. Um, yeah. That said, there were other games that happened around the week, this weekend, and a lot of really fun ones, and we were really excited to go through this rundown. Yes, Austin. indeed. Did you uh, happen to see... 
Did you happen to see the Friday night game? Which, by the way, I'm loving that there's a Friday night game. It allows me to I, see them. <laughs> it really does, and it puts your type of teams really in the spotlight too, where it's this, that just mid mid to yep. lower tier Big Ten football. Like, yeah, um, I didn't get to watch the game, but I did see the highlight of the game, which was truly one of the worst calls I think I've ever seen in, in collegiate sports. And that was, if you're referring, of, you're referring to the Purdue-Minnesota game, correct? Yeah, Minnesota won that game 34-31, to 31, but big ol' asterisks on that. If you thought the pass interfe- offensive, uh, excuse me, defensive pass interference calls in the 2013 Notre Dame game were questionable, then even those would have you blush compared to what we saw in this end of this game. Purdue was called for a, a ghost offensive pass interference on a, frankly, a beautiful play and a beautiful pass to their tight end, which essentially would have won the game for Purdue. It was called back for some unknown reason, and uh, Minnesota ultimately won. Hey, PJ, you do what you got to do. Um, you know, a few 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 $20 bills never hurt anybody in the pocket of a referee. So who knows? <laughs> What happened? Yeah, listen. I've been an advocate for cheating for a long time, so oh, you've yeah. got to do what you got to do, PJ. But man, alive, you could have asked the refs to make it a little less conspicuous because that was that was bad. And that's just you know for a team like Purdue too, who's at not having a terrible season and who you know, listen, you can tack on more wins the better. Uh, you really put something together to build on. Um, a loss like that is just so gut wrenching and can really. You know, that can set you back, too, as a program, because maybe not like long term as a program. But when you think about, uh, you know, that's certainly a challenge to bounce back from, man. That's that's a tough one. Well, yeah. You know, the Big Ten West is is kind of crazy. And, and I'm not saying that Purdue could have won it, but they certainly would have only had one loss. And, you know, they're right. just a bad call. You know, <laughs> it's mean to say a bad call away from from, you know, maybe they are. In, tied for first who knows but anyway um i'm never going to shed tears for purdue because screw them another team i'll never shed tears for nebraska who got handled by illinois 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 of all teams <laughs> football handled them 41 to 23 in lincoln and the game doesn't matter what trolling is more important than the game I think we've made that clear with our personalities. Mm-hmm. And Illinois Athletics immediately tweeted after the game and then deleted. But don't worry, mm-hmm. screenshots live forever. Quote, good game, Nebraska. Thanks for bringing back Big Ten football. Which is like the most amazing troll of all time because it's Nebraska nice, but also the oh, yeah. most cruel thing you could have said to them after beating a team by three possessions. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that was so perfectly mean. Like, I, I was I, – I saw that, and I just went, wow, that's – Illinois, again, like, this is Lovey's one win a year where he stays relevant. I think he just bought himself – he usually buys himself, like, one year with these wins, like when he beat Nebraska or Wisconsin last year, even when he beat Michigan State last year. Like, I think he bought himself two years, uh, or maybe not even him, but the social media department bought him. Uh, an extra year with that tweet because that was just fantastic. It's amazing how fast Nebraska went from truly like nobody really. I, I was always pretty like ambivalent. Like I never really cared that Nebraska football was a part of the 
the Big Ten to just like being so openly annoyed that they're a part of the Big like no they got annoying so fast. It, it's yeah, really it's, kind of unbelievable. I, you almost tip your cap that someone could become that obnoxious that quickly. But um, so meritless too. Like just totally meritless. It was the one time they made it to the Big Ten championship. They gave up seventy points. Yeah, it wasn't good. If that's what yeah. you're so like, I, I just don't know. I don't know. They're, you know, whatever. Go ahead. Do what you need to do to survive. Just don't expect to get respect from anybody anytime soon. Um, speaking of that, Penn State continues their quest to be the worst team in the Big Ten, which is just astounding, dude. It's astounding. They are 0 and 5. Penn State is 0 and 5. And it, it's, it's shocking. Like, it truly, is. It, it, it's, it's shocking. I, I think when we've been talking about Penn State in the last handful of years, you talk to anybody who follows recruiting. I mean, even, even just like, even a casual fan, like Penn State has established a brand underneath James Franklin where if you were just a casual college football team or fan, you're like, okay, yeah, like they're good. Like that's, that's a good team. They usually go to a decent bowl. They win roughly double digit games. Like it's, it's not a bad program. So to have this, like to to have a bad year is one thing, but 0 and 5. Yeah. That is, it's, it's crazy. I mean, yes, they lost Micah Parsons. Like that, that's a big loss. That's a really, that's a really good linebacker to lose, but that's one player. Like you brought back so much more talent than that. And it's just kind of, I'm trying to find the rationale for how this is happening. I'm just, I'm just not sure I can do it. So, um, James Franklin, some, I would put it this way. Some questions are going to be asked here if they're not already being asked very, very loudly. It's just wild. Yeah. This is a team that has talent wise a top 10 in the country as it relates to total talent in their recruiting classes the last four years. And they're 0-5. It's just astounding. And, um, you know, hats off to Iowa. Iowa does Iowa things, right? Like, they're frisky Iowa, right? I was going to say, frisky Iowa is back, baby. They are full back. I love it. So They're not a bad team. They're not bad. They're fine. It's fine. They're fine. It's (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so then... In the afternoon, Ohio State, Indiana. Did you have a chance to watch this one? I did get to watch this game. Um, listen, I I already had a tremendous amount of respect for Tom Allen coming into this game. But, man, coming out of it, you really got to give them I, – I think I took two things away from this game. First of all, um, I'm just so impressed with the program. I hate that it's Indiana because I just hate their basketball program. So I naturally by proxy hate their football program, but I, he is, I mean, he's, it's so impressive what he's built there. Just the resilience and the attitude, like he's everything you could ask for from, from a head coach of a program that is in, in a lot of ways, he's very like Mark D'Antonio where he sets, he came into like a not good situation, a worse situation than D'Antonio took over to be certain especially with when you consider legacy and, and, you know, history and all that stuff, he took over basically nothing and he's turned it into what appears to be a very legitimate big time program with 
with legitimate pros in it. I mean, I mean, you're going to tell me Ty Freifogel is not a pro? And some of those defensive linemen were owning Ohio State's offensive line. It was impressive. So, so you're, you're right. And so Ty Freifogel, for what it's worth, had three offers coming out of school. Wow. And, and you know what they were? He's from Mississippi. He got one from Ole Miss, Idaho, and Indiana. And wow. he's arguably and that's talent evaluation. Hey, man, you know, like, I don't know what to say. So there's something to be said about that, too, like identifying talent and, you know, growing it. Um, you know, Indiana's biggest downfall in this game, and it's not fair to talk about their downfall. Like, you you have to almost play – you have to, like, kind of pitch a, a, a three-hitter at worst, you know, for a bad analogy to beat a team like Ohio State. Like you could have, like, That's- three mistakes tops, right? That was my biggest takeaway from this game. And I don't even think it's a three hitter. I think you got to pitch. If you do not have the same level of sheer talent as right. they do, and right. you've said many times, there's very few schools that do, um, you got to pitch a perfect game. Uh, I mean, Indiana, Indiana is also the only type of team that probably could get away with only throwing a three hitter and even stand a chance because they were just big play after big play. I mean, they didn't. I, I mean, another thing that jumped out at me but with about Indiana was they just completely abandoned the run. They ran for negative ten yards in this game, and they still scored thirty five points, and they still were right in it until the bitter, bitter end. Uh, and I just, I applaud the coaching because that's just knowing, hey, we can't run, like we can't do this, so let's abandon it and let's give a shot to to what we think we can do, and not only do, but you know, do pretty well. Um, and I was impressed with that, but you got to pitch a perfect game. They turned the ball over in the red zone at least once. I know uh, Penix threw, I think, another interception. You just, you can't do it because Ohio State did, Ohio State did not even really play well. No, they Justin, didn't. Justin Fields threw three interceptions in this game. Like, they, they didn't, they didn't play well. Their, their offensive, offensive line was getting manhandled by Indiana's defensive line on quite a few occasions. And yet, they scored 42 points. Yeah. On a bad day, when they went out there and did not have it, they scored over 40 points and beat a, a good team. So so there's a takeaway there, right? Is Ohio State, you know, you got the win. You got to take a step back and say, okay, Justin Fields had the worst game of his career. And mm-hmm. we won, which is great. But there are some sincere questions about, like, okay, maybe you just hope Justin Fields doesn't have that type of off day or make those terrible decisions moving forward. Um, but there was a very much a feeling of Urban Meyer's ghost of when he wouldn't give the ball to Zeke Elliott. I mean, Ohio State was averaging like sad eight yards. Pizza Urban. Sorry? I said sad pizza, Urban. Yeah, sad pizza, sad pizza, dude. No, Ohio State was averaging eight yards per carry, and yet Justin Fields was kind of throwing them out of the game. And so yep. the offensive coordinator was, and again, they scored 42 points, 35 on offense, which is fantastic. I would cry to have 30 points and five points in a game. <laughs> um, but you like kind of, you got to adjust, right? Just like Ohio State kind of let Indiana hang around, I think. And that should be a point of concern for Ohio State. I will say one other thing about Ohio State is I think they are every bit in the Bama Clemson tier. Of teams, I think they're they're every bit, especially talent wise. Well, but I think they're they're a tick below, and I think the reason is is exactly what you said and what you saw. And what really concerned me is that Indy. If I was an Ohio State fan, 
um, is that Indiana, again, I said it already, they held up really well on the line, I thought, even though Ohio State did run the ball well, especially when they dropped back to pass, Indiana got to them with, with like, not uh-huh. by blitzing like crazy yeah. or anything like that. If Indiana, was, Indiana again, yeah. an admittedly good Big Ten team, if they're going to get to you, what do you think Clemson's going to do? What well, do you think Bama's going to do? I mean, it's very yeah, real. That secondary got torched, Austin. Torched. 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 Sean Wade was running. I mean, he, he had that pick six. Again, that's the difference between an Ohio State and Indiana is Ohio State makes that play. But, you know, he was getting lit up by those when two. You're playing Trevor uh, Lawrence Right. Yeah, you're playing Trevor Lawrence and Mac Jones. It's different than and Penix is solid, but when you're playing a Heisman candidate, it's right. different. So let's move on to the other Heisman candidate that is no longer. Um, Wisconsin fans would have had you know that their freshman Graham Mertz was the greatest thing that ever happened to football in their state since Aaron Rodgers, and unfortunately for them, he's just another Wisconsin quarterback. And so. Northwestern won 17 to 7 in potentially the most Big Ten game of all time. Austin, you watched every minute of it because you are insane. Tell me what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is what happens when you're engaged to a Wisconsin alum. You know, you, you get dragged into watching some games and it was, man, was it, was it Big Ten? Uh, the punting was immaculate. I will give both punters credit. They <laughs> lived up to the hype. Um, but boy, yeah, it was, it was tough to watch. I mean, uh, I will say this. <laughs> it's crazy to me that, you know, a empty Ryan field could strike someone as a stage that's a bit too big, but that's what it looked like for Graham Mertz. Oh, he no. just made, yeah, uh, he just made some, some plays that were just dumb. He just looked like a freshman. Now I'm, I still think he's going to be really good. Uh, like he truly strikes me as like a, a pretty darn good player because um, he looks the part. He really does have a strong arm, but man, he he just came up with some bad bad stuff at the wrong moment. Their defense, actually, Wisconsin's defense. I mean, they held Northwestern's offense to 17 points despite turning the ball over several times. Like they did a good job, but um, that offense just had nothing. Turned the ball over uh, a bunch of times, and then. Northwestern's offense did what Northwestern offenses uh, tend to do when they have good teams, which is just enough. Um, nothing spectacular. I mean, when you look at, as we'll get into to the preview, like the stats for this team are so incredibly unimpressive from an offensive perspective, yeah. even total. You don't look at it and think, oh, this player is good. You could look at their entire offense, and I wouldn't be able to tell you that a single player is better than anybody else. You have no idea because um, no one has – decent stats. Um, but I will say their defense, I mean, they've got three senior linebackers. It's kind of like that perfect recipe for a good, like mid tier, big team to like stand out three yeah, really yeah. good senior linebackers. And they just, they were opportunistic. I think one of the things, again, we'll talk about in the pre- preview, they won that turnover battle by a lot, controlled the clock by a lot. And uh, yeah, they just, they kind of ugly their way to a win. That's that's the Northwestern mo, and and frankly, they have to with the type of talent they have on that team, and they they grow that talent. We'll talk about them in the preview in a bit, but um, yeah, good win for Northwestern. They seem to have Wisconsin's number, um, and then finally, uh, to to wrap it all up, 
Michigan defeats Rutgers 48 to 42 in triple overtime. <laughs> and saying that out loud was kind of insane. And also, I imagine, imagine if a Michigan fan from 2016 heard me say that sentence. Like, what? I mean, happened? wow. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it, I, listen, we can't sit here and throw stones, right? What's Rutgers? Who us, it is. Whomst hasn't lost to Rutgers, I ask. Uh, however, this, this, despite being now what, two and three, I think. Michigan's two and three. Yeah, this has to be the, if you're keeping track of this, this has to be the worst game so far this season, despite the win. I think this is worse than losing to Michigan State because, uh, the complete and total lack of growth week over week, the lackadaisical nature, the just like not taking anything seriously, no excitement, no rah-rah, like to have to, like, because when you play Rutgers, if you do, there is, there's really no win, like ever. If you beat them by a hundred, people say, oh yeah, well, congratulations, you beat Rutgers by a hundred. If you win close, people say, wow, I can't believe it was so close. If you lose, you get laughed off the internet, which is what happened to us. Like, there's no winning. And, and so to have to go to triple overtime, to have to go to Cade McNamara, to like have to do all these things, it just, it has to be so unfulfilling. It has to be like kind of the epitome of all of the, the, um, I don't know, let down of that this season has become. It kind of epitomizes that. So I, awesome. I, I just wonder, like, do we have to start engraving the Cade McNamara Heisman trophy now or should we wait? So the alone bright spot for Michigan is that they have a quarterback, their third quarterback, string quarterback, was able to come in and um, win them the game, had a nice stat line. The damning thing about this, Austin, is that Jim Harbaugh thought there were two quarterbacks better than him on this roster. The quarterback whisperer thought there were two quarterbacks better than this kid and like that alone is fireable yeah i mean yeah i think it you know the the i think we should all as a nation be be ready and and willing to have the jim harbaugh still eating off andrew luck conversation like it it's pretty clear that the emperor has no clothes when it comes to that right like he hasn't gotten a quarterback worth a damn at Michigan. Like he's recruited plenty of guys that have had good star ratings and quite literally, quite literally, none of them have panned out guys that he's recruited. Yep. You know, he got Shea Patterson. And I think if you were to analyze Shea Patterson's career uh, without hype, you might say, yeah, he was a perfectly serviceable quarterback. But if you consider expectation, I mean, it's, it's nothing short of a massive letdown. Um, and then you've also got, uh, you know, Joe Milton came in with a ton of hype and he was, it's not even that it's not talented because you watch Joe Milton, you're like, this guy has it all. I was, I was impressed with what he has. It's just he, he doesn't look like he's been coached at all. And like, yes, it's a weird offseason, all that stuff, but he's a, he's a sophomore. He's been around the block a little bit. Like, and to not adjust from game to game tells me a lot. Like, I mean, some quarterbacks just don't get it and I understand that. But you're supposed to be the savant. You brought in like an offensive coordinator who's supposed to be able to teach and develop these great quarterbacks and comes with this amazing pedigree, and yet none of it's working. And I just, you know, 
I just wonder how much longer it's like a tenable solution. You know what the best part is? Ironically, there are Michigan fans on Twitter who said if Cade McNamara had been starting the games prior to this, they would have won them. And I just, to that, awesome. Yeah. Uh, well, I I don't know if that's better or worse than the ones that think Eric Bieniemy is going to come and be the coach and that the Lions are going to hire Harbaugh. I don't I don't know which Twitter user I I love reading kind of applaud more. I love fans. It's good. So that brings us to our hot seat meter. Long promised and finally <laughs> delivered. John, before we get in, let's take a quick commercial. Oh break. man, okay, I'll I'll rest and get ready. Okay, ready? Here we go. Then we're back. Okay, here we go. I just had to do the sponsors right. That's all. Hot seat meter season. Everybody strap in. The thing that was the hardest <laughs> for us folks was deciding whose seat was actually more Taco Bell diarrhea hot. Jim <laughs> Harbaugh or James Franklin? And I think we landed on Jim Harbaugh because there is there is a bit of reprieve for James Franklin, and we'll get to him, and that this is maybe the flukiest of flukes. But he also has a ring. He also has a big 10 True, That matters. Jim Harbaugh, as you put it, is James Franklin without the success. And, wow, what a damning thing to say. Yeah, I mean, it's tough to hear. I I love that we're jumping right in. Um, those two are at the top for, for very good reason. But I think Harbaugh is the clear-cut number one. And I don't think anybody that pays – even a Michigan fan would tell you that. And I think that emotion and, and, and understanding and acceptance in and of itself is – is all you really need to know about the how dire the straits are in Ann Arbor. Um, it's an abject failure. I mean, if 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 you consider, and it's kind of funny because you know if you were to talk to normal Michigan Twitter fan, which I realize is not entirely indicative of the fan base, but listen, your your loudest are your are the ones people are going to remember, and you know they would have you know that uh, you know he's actually been pretty successful and he's led to this many wins and, and recruited this many folks and done mm-hmm. and has this record against Michigan State, et cetera. And they, they're going to claim some, some for, for all intents and purposes, moral victories. But you don't really get to do that. And you don't get to stay employed when you came in and did signing with the stars. Oh, yes. Posing with Quavo and you were posing More. with uh, yeah, and you were, you know, Sleepover. doing every publicity stunt. You're sleeping over at kids' houses. You're, you're, a, you're a, who's got it better than us? You're talking to the Pope. You're, I mean, you can't do that, and then a expect any leeway from anyone, and b ever change that. Like that is, and that is, you could probably go back in our, well, maybe. I don't know if you could go back in our archives. I don't know if we go back far enough, but. Uh, I know if I went back in my text messages, scientific stuff, uh, <laughs> I have long called Jim Harbaugh the nuclear option. Yeah, he, was, he was the new, nu- he was the nuclear option for Michigan. Then he remains the nuclear option now because it's like, there's no good, it either works or it's a disaster because it's either na- it's net when you sign him it is national championship national not just big 10 championship national championship or bust 
There is no soft landing area. There is no middle ground. There is nothing because that's what you came out and said. You all came out and said it. And you, and you, you didn't give yourself any wiggle room. And now we're sitting here in year six and you guys are banging your chest about your third string quarterback going to triple overtime to beat Rutgers. And you're gloating over Michigan State about the fact that you could beat Rutgers and we couldn't. And that's where you're at now. And lost to us. And, right, right. That, but, but doesn't matter because you beat Rutgers. Like now Rutgers is your measuring stick. Like that's just the level you sunk to. And it's, but uh, Austin, I are just, you are you ready? I'm ready. Are you ready for what's I'm about ready. to happen? Cause it's like clockwork. They're going to beat Penn State. They're going to beat Maryland and the hype train. It's back. And you know what we're going to start to see? If Michigan can beat Ohio State, mm-hmm. we're going to start to see it. They're going to be back in on Harbaugh, and then the Ohio oh, yeah. game is going to happen. Yeah, and it's going to be more of the same sixty-three to fourteen or whatever that you know sixty-three thirty-one, whatever it's been, and you know you're going to it's going to ruin your Thanksgiving uh, or whatever day it takes place. It's going to ruin your December this year, Christmas uh, at this point. <laughs> oh, might as well be that would it would be Christmas for me personally, but uh, yeah, I, you know it's. It, it, yeah. And it's not like they've had this crazy hardship or anything. No. It, it, I, it, they've had two seminal moments of the Jim Harbaugh era, and that is B, JT Barrett getting a first down and the punter screwing up. Those are the two things that you'll remember from from the Jim Harbaugh era. And I, I genuinely – like I, I know it would be fun for us if he got let go and all this stuff. I, I, I think it is one of the more fascinating situations in all of college football because, you know, Again, he was the nuclear option because he comes in, he builds a bunch of bridges, and then he burns them as fast as he possibly can. And I got to think that there's a lot of people, uh, especially the ones paying his uh, bills or, you know, cutting his checks that are thinking, OK, you were supposed to come in and, and you know, do something special here. And also, where's the energy? There used to be mm. energy here. There's no energy anymore. Where like where is all the snake oil that you told us you were going to give us? So I, I do think. Where he goes will be very interesting because I don't know if Michigan can straight up fire him. I don't know that they can ever bounce back as a program from – I just don't know if they have it in them to acknowledge the error that they made when all of that gusto was, you know, being blown about. So, Michigan, uh, and honestly, I'm not sure how many people want that job. Yeah, it's You've a seen what he just did. I don't know. Michigan fans are begging for Harbaugh to be offered an NFL job. Begging so that so that they can part ways amicably. That, yeah, that's all they it, have. it's a pipe dream. Uh, uh, well, I, I I think it's a bit of a pipe dream. Like I'm not sure. I, to be totally honest with you, I just I don't know that without that energy, which is probably the most concerning thing, without that like gusto Harbaugh craziness, like that signature psycho level intensity, which again I haven't seen from him in three years. Um, I don't know what his appeal is. He doesn't have the quarterback, uh, you know, whisper tag anymore. I'm not sure that anybody in the NFL actually likes him. Mm-hmm. And it's been seven years now. You know, his offense hasn't even come close to working in uh, Ann Arbor, and his defense is engineered by Don Brown. Uh, I, I'm just trying to find his brother. You know, his brother needs to hire him. 
Uh, well, now that would be fantastic. I think we'd all enjoy that. We, I, I would hate to see him ruin Lamar Jackson's career, though. That'd be a shame. If you thought we didn't have time for James Franklin, you would be wrong. Because, Mr. Franklin, <laughs> sir, 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 how things have fallen apart under your leadership, my friend. 0-5 is so far past unacceptable. And, frankly, I have no reason to believe that you can beat Michigan or Rutgers. Yeah. Walking into the Michigan State Penn State game, we very well may be looking at a one in sixteen versus an zero in eighteen, and uh, the land grant trophy may—I don't know if it's even worth winning at that point. <laughs> <laughs> the win, what's uglier, the win or the trophy? I mean, that—that's the question you have to ask yourself at that point. Penn State might be playing for a one win this season at that point. Yeah, yeah. I, I will. I, I mean, it's it's bad. I think it's never been a secret that you know um, James Franklin isn't exactly an X's and O's guy. He's more of the the put people into the right place to succeed. But when you're not doing that, you know. That's not, that's not good. (laughs) That's a very unsustainable position. (laughs) I will say with James Franklin, his seat is, is real hot. I think he's got more, I think he can survive this apocalypse much better than, uh, much better than Harbaugh can for a couple reasons. First of all, um, he's still going to have a ton of talent. He's, he's got a ring. Like you said, he's been there. He's done it. He can prove he's done it. I think that's means something. Um, and then additionally, uh, I'm a little surprised he didn't take off one year too early. He's usually the, let me get out of here at the right time guy. Mm-hmm. Or he strikes me as that. And, uh, you know, I don't know if he's going to be able to, you know, uh, he's clearly not pulled that off this time, but I think because of his, his energy has not changed and what he is, is very apparent. And I think that there are a lot of programs out there that even with this, dog shit performance they put on this year a lot of teams are like oh you can get me a top 10 talented roster i'll take that and i'll take my chances from there and i'll 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 bet that this is the blip so even if penn state were to let him go or he were to you know quote unquote part ways i don't think you're seeing him sit out on that job market for very long and i don't think you're seeing him in any other position aside from a head coach so this is pretty pathetic but in terms of like, you know, being able to bounce back and continue your coaching career, I think I would bank on him a lot more than I'd bank on Harbaugh. Yeah. The, the one thing that he has to worry about is the fact that while he has a fringe top 25 recruiting class, it's easily the worst he's had since being there. And so that's not, not a good look. Um, no, not great. So let's transition to the hot seat. So if those were molten Taco Bell, uh, lava hot. <laughs> This is ghost just, pepper. Yeah, th- this one is um, you had too many tequila shots and um, <laughs> unlimited taco night got a, got a bit out of control. Hot seat. Scott Frost, my friend, is uh, ironically the Frost man on the hot seat. Sir, what what was the plan? Okay, is my question <laughs> for you. What was the move? How do you, and here's the question I always ask folks when it's not going well, cause I want to hear what they think. How do you think this is going? Cause, <laughs> cause I don't think it's going very well, bud. Is You're, that, well, um, is that the worst question you could ever get in an interview? 
I asked that question like, can in you reviews. can you imagine? <laughs> I asked that question in reviews a lot, Austin. And I'll be honest. <laughs> when we're doing reviews and if you see me give that question, I'm gonna give you a heads up, it's probably not going very well. <laughs> How do you think this is going? They're on a date or something. God, uh-huh. I just, I'm out of here. Um, I'm with you though. Scott Frost, I mean, again, guy that came in banging a big drum. You heard a lot about him from the Nebraska faithful has, has again been an abject failure. And I don't think he was taking over the dearth of a roster that many people probably said he was. Um, and we want to talk about a guy who came in with a very specific reputation about his ability to groom quarterbacks. And uh, who? Adrian Martinez? Luke McCaffrey? I mean, they just keep getting worse. I think it might be time to, uh, again, nuclear option for Nebraska. And the only reason why it's it's going to probably affect them less, I would say, um, is just because they're less relevant than Michigan, no matter what they do. I mean, it's that, yep. it's Nebraska. It's it's yep. never going to be the same. But it is very – it's a very similar um, – Situation. I mean, you compare him to what to Harbaugh, and, and it's it's embarrassing if you're if you're oh, Nebraska when you claim to be this big boy and you've got him coming in and not just like again, not to give Harbaugh excuses, but I mean, guy won nine ten games. He's been within those inches of being great. Nebraska's not even sniffing greatness. So uh, I think he'll get one more year just because again, nuclear option. They're gonna they're gonna be tied to him for a while, but if if it goes south after next year, I mean, there's only so much you can do. Well, yeah, they, you know, they have a very similar path, Scott Frost and Jim Harbaugh being kind of that nuclear option. But, dude, their 2021 football schedule, it doesn't look great, dude. They, and granted, things can change. I'm not sure how this year's schedule kind of affects next year's, if there's anything that gets wonky. Yeah. But they open with Illinois. In Ireland, for some reason, sure, that'll happen. And well, let's that. think about this. We got we got Illinois. I mean, I could see the appeal of corn, uh, corn <laughs> and potatoes. You know, it kind of fits together. But nice. But their other non-con is Buffalo, one of the best MAC teams, and then at Oklahoma. Oof. Like, what do you think's gonna happen here? And then their crossover yeah. is is um, at Michigan State and Ohio State and Michigan. I, I don't know, man. Like, I don't know. Doesn't look good. Sure doesn't. Okay, so we'll go quickly. Those are our really hot ones. Do you want to keep going? Yeah. You do? Yeah. Okay. I mean, let's. I think we've got three other brackets here. We got to establish the brackets. Well, we have five others for the people. I think we can get through them pretty quick. The next one we had is like a nice summer day. Just, you know, it's getting hot. Like, it, you could either, depending on the time of the year, you're trending in the right direction or you're trending in the wrong direction. And that is Lovey Smith. Just sitting there at 72. Again, like, during the year, maybe it gets a little hotter in the early parts when he starts to lose bad games. But then you get a little, uh, a little cool down. The heat wave ends. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden it's 72 again. And guess mm-hmm. what? That's exactly what happened last weekend. Illinois just needs to decide how long they're okay with having a guy that averages six wins a year. Yeah. And, and like, that's what's going to happen. So it's kind of up to Illinois because Lovey is what he is. And he is the guy who said it originally, right? So, I, I mean, like, I don't know. 
Sis, Sis, Illinois just will always be. Um, they are the new constant. They are the Iowa of the Big Ten and that you know what they are, but worse. Um, yeah. Let's put on shorts weather. So this is even more, this is like, uh, early spring, but it's still, um, it, it's warm, but not, not uncomfortably hot. You might have mm-hmm. a long sleeve on top weather. <laughs> And that that one goes to PJ Fleck and Mike Loxley for two completely different reasons, right? Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Yeah. Are you there? Oh yeah. I was, I was saying. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Um, I would say totally different reasons. I mean, for PJ, you know, obviously again, came in with all the energy. He's still got the energy. It's trending. Um, but it's, it's a little dicey right now in Minnesota. Uh, he got very lucky to win that game last week and, you know, you're most exposed after you have one of those, you know, great seasons and he's kind of dealing with the come down a little bit here. So, uh, yeah, PJ, I mean, listen, again, it, it, if you're going to be the loud energy guy, you need to win. You can't be that guy and lose. Uh, so he's always going to be in a, yeah, in a, in a risky spot. I think Mike Loxley on the other hand, though, I, I think things have cooled down for him. Oh, you know, yeah. Just based on, I mean, listen, Maryland is just team chaos. I love him for it. And um, Mike Loxley's thriving off that because that's an improvement to go from abject failure, embarrassment to to team chaos is good because team chaos every three, four years can put a real scare into a lot of people and maybe win nine, ten games. And people are like, whoa, Maryland. So it feels like with the talent he's getting, um, at the very least, they'll be a talented, annoying team for a while. So that's that's, you know, he's just got to uh, keep his guys on the field. That's all. Yeah, the problem for Mike Loxley is the fact that they lost by 40 in the first game of the season, which was weird. And while they've completely to redeemed Northwestern. them. Yeah, yeah, to Northwestern, who hasn't scored like 40 points the rest of the year combined. And then, uh, you know, they, they have a complete breakdown and have uh, COVID um, problems, and Maryland is not even a hot spot. So, like – I'm not trying to point fingers, but it's like that's kind of a leadership problem, right? Maybe I don't know if that's okay to say, but like you know, you got to take a look at it. And um, I just want to comment on the uh, the the alley oop that was missed back there from me to you. That right. felt like me throwing the ball into the stands, honestly. Like, <laughs> that wasn't on you. That was on me. Like, <laughs> was that like the was that like the Carlton? Yeah, where it was a bad pass. throws the ball up. And he's got that fist. He's like, there it goes. And then it that just sails over the back. Yeah, I got to make eye contact. You're usually so good at these. And just to have it, to have it, you know, listen, you're going to miss one from time to time. I know. I, we got to, we got to, we got to see each other before I make that backdoor pass. Um, <laughs> and then the, our next category is freezing. And this one's pretty obvious, but like, my question for Jeff Brom and the Purdue Athletic Department is like, how long are we going to do this? Right. 
And and I say that because they have no one coming in. Their recruiting classes stink, objectively stink. And, you know, they're fine, and, you know, they got job last week, but they're 2-2. Two and two. He was energy guy until P.J. Fleck became real energy guy. Yeah. Like, what's what are like how long do you do this for without any real signs of progress that's my question yeah i think it's a it's a, a decision making time but i mean people loved him so much when he first came in that i don't i it, he kind of is able to just stay in this pool because of relevance like it's purdue football ultimately people don't really care so okay. he's he's going to be fine um, the other freezing candidates, I think, are all pretty obvious. I would even maybe bump one of them down after last week. But we've got Paul, Chris, Tom Allen, and Ryan Day. I mean, Chris and Ryan Day, it's going to take just a horrendous season or them leaving to go somewhere else, neither of which I really see coming from either of them at this point, um, for them to leave. Like, it's going to take sustained badness from both of them. Okay, uh, so which so let me jump in. happen at Ohio State. Let me let me jump in about Paul Christ. I used to live in Wisconsin in Milwaukee for a little bit, and I still follow a lot of uh, the the local media there. They did not handle this loss well. There was <laughs> okay talk radio in Milwaukee this week was what the subject was. What's the move, Paul? It's not 1993 mm. anymore. In a reference to their offense. They're they're not happy. They feel like Paul Chris should be taking the next step. And frankly, losing to a team like Northwestern and scoring seven points is completely unacceptable. And they have a point. And I'm not saying that Paul Chris is fired, but I am saying that you know, folks aren't. They're they've moved past the honeymoon phase. They are expecting him to take the next step soon. Well, I think you've reached the point of expectations there where. He's also kind of in like the, maybe like the Lloyd Carr comparison is a really mm-hmm. good one where you've, you're putting together, you've seen a lot of really good success, but you just, you get to big moments and you choke or you choke and it keeps you from getting to big moments. I mean, I think of the Rose Bowl last year. I mean, they had, you know, Oregon dead to rights and choked the game away. Um, and now a dumb loss like this, they lost, uh, last year to Illinois, which cost them a shot at the playoff. And so maybe it's, maybe it's that where, you know, you most programs be very, very happy to have Paul Chris, but um, he's kind of a victim of his own success to a degree. So that's a good call. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank thank you for paying attention to the Milwaukee talk radio scene. It's what, hey, it's what I'm here for, folks. Uh, Tom Allen, you know, even in a loss, improved his status at Indiana. For me, it's is is someone going to take him, Austin? Like, mm-hmm. is, is is a big boy going to come and say? Hey man, if he can he can turn Indiana into something, why not you know take our program to the next level? That that's what I see. Yeah, that's it's a it's an interesting point. I I wonder. I like if he was a younger guy, I uh-huh. think that I would like he'd be a really hot name. I'm just not sure. Like I think of the big programs out there that might have had coaching changes in, in the near future, and you're talking. You know, the, although, how old do you think Tom Allen is? How old do you think he is? Uh, 58. 50. Really? 50 years old. Okay. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he's going to be a guy that, that somebody comes and scoops up. I don't know for whatever reason the school that jumped out at me was Florida State. Um, Sure. I know they just hired Mark Norvell, but like, 
he, he's the energy guy. He's like a, uh, okay, this is the way our program is now. And that's what he's done such a good job of at Indiana that shit, if I'm a team that's looking for, uh, kind of a, or a program that's looking for a bit of a restart, that, that would be a guy I would really consider. I mean, but, and the fact that you can recruit kids to Indiana, man, I mean, that's, that's a step in the right direction. I think Tom Allen's as, as good a coach as there is in the Big Ten right now. It's really crazy to say Florida State because almost all of his playable guys are from Florida. He has a recruiting pipeline to Florida. Place to go. Hey, I mean, it's, that, just remember you heard it here first. Um, so the other ones we've got here are, we, we have, <laughs> we have untouchable and then we have hostage situation. Um, untouchable is Pat Fitzgerald. I mean, listen, if you can win seven games a year, and then do something like this every four years when you have a ton of seniors, you're going to keep your job at Northwestern forever. They're never, he's never going to go anywhere. No one wants to hire him, even though I bet he's younger than Tom Allen. Like <laughs> he's just there forever. End of story. He is Northwestern football. Yeah. He, he's, he, and, it's, it's forever. And that's fine. Kirk Ferentz, on the other hand, frisky Iowa is frisky Iowa. I mean, what is there more to say? You're right. It's a hostage situation. He can't leave. He has them no. he, under his control. Until they want to just pay the buyout, which apparently is just lasting forever, um, he's never going to go in it. He just, again, talk about somebody who is their program. I bet he owns most of Iowa City at this point. <laughs> uh, but it's a he... It's just this like eternal stare down where it's two people standing there holding guns with their fingers on the trigger, look, just looking each other dead in the eye. And they've been standing there for like 15 straight years waiting for somebody else to pull the trigger and just no one's going to do it. If so, Kirk, I, <laughs> dude, if Kirk Ferentz was smart, they pay him what? How many, how many million dollars a year? If he was smart, he would have continually invested in buying property and land in Iowa City until he slowly and silently owned the entire city so that <laughs> nobody Who can prove he hasn't done that. Who can prove he has not done that? I would, I'd be more surprised if he hasn't had that exact same thought process. Oh man. So, okay. That was fun. You'll we notice, gotta, wait, we left two off though, just to clarify did? for everybody. People are going to say, who, where is Mel Tucker? Well, where is Shiano? As we always do, first year coaches get a pass because not fair to put them on any of these lists. However, week one of next year, please believe Mel Tucker and Greg Shiano will be on this list. Absolutely. With new categories at, at that. Indeed. Well, let's go quickly around the big upcoming Big Ten and then we'll preview Northwestern. Friday afternoon after Thanksgiving, Nebraska and Iowa, nothing could be better than after a post-Thanksgiving meal, leftovers, watching two hog molly teams go after it. Very excited to watch Nebraska lose yet another game. The Corn Bowl. That's my one-liner. Ohio State at Illinois. What do you got? Uh, I hope you had fun last week, Illinois. <laughs> Maryland at Indiana. This is a tough one. I mean, to me, this is one I'd be kind of scared of if I'm Indiana because Maryland, again, team chaos, you know, they could score. Uh, and you're coming. How do you bounce back? Sign of a big program. If I was Indiana, I'd wake up and do a shot of vodka because if you're too hungover, it might get ugly for you. Thanks. Penn State at Michigan, which for some god awful reason is on noon on ABC. Oof. Uh, I mean, this is. The disaster bowl. I mean, if, if, 
Coaching for your job? It, yeah. I mean, honestly, in, in a lot of ways, I think if you're Harbaugh, this is a major pressure. This is kind of a must win. You can't lose another game at home to a team that hasn't won a game. Is this a must win for Franklin? I don't know if it's a must win for Franklin. I kind of feel like at 0-5, what's the difference between 0-5 and 2-6 and or whatever? Like, I don't think it really matters that much from here. I wouldn't call it a must win, but, like, you can't get killed. Good point. Minnesota, Wisconsin, Paul Bunyan's axe. What do you got? Uh, I'm going to give it to Wisconsin by two scores, at least. I think they're going to come back and, and do the Wisconsin thing where they score 28 points, 35 points, and you're like, what the, how the hell did they lose that game last week? Uh, that's how I think this one will go. And Minnesota's defense stinks. And then finally, Rutgers at Purdue. Woof. I mean, again, we kind of do this every once in a while where you look at, like, the Big Ten matrix, and you're like, what What happens when these two teams play? Like, what, what planets align? Uh, and what? Can, how can we make the worst combination? And I think this is probably it. I would say, yeah, Rutgers Purdue is the worst Big Ten matchup you can have, regardless of team. It's just just a miserable thing to have to even say out loud. So I apologize to our listeners that you had to hear me even say. Well, it. I think when you have two schools that neither of them have a a state or the word state listed in them, uh, and they're playing each other, it's just a general bummer. So like. Rutgers, yep. like if you were to tell me where are Rutgers and Purdue, if I'm not from the Midwest and like, I, what, like where, what are those places? Are those people? Like, what is that? Thousand percent agree. They could both get out of the Big Ten and I don't care. Okay. Speaking of teams that don't make any sense, Northwestern, which is located in Chicago, which is on the northeastern side of the state, takes on Michigan State in the afternoon on ESPN. The line opened uh, with a 12-point um, advantage for Northwestern all the way up to 13-and-a-half. Folks, I rarely do this. I rarely tell you what to do with your money, but the over-under is now to, is now on the lowest in the entire uh, gambling nation at 42 points, and I would still highly advise you to take the under because you have – the Northwestern scoring offense averaging 26 points a game against Michigan State scoring offense of 15 points a game. And both defenses are pretty good, right, Austin? Yeah, I mean, I would – yeah, both are both are pretty good. I would say Northwestern's a step ahead of Michigan State's right now, I think largely in part due to the uh, – just level of experience. I mean, I mentioned it before, but they've got three senior linebackers, including Patty Fisher, who was, uh, could make a very real argument for the best linebacker, not only in the Big Ten, but, but one of the better ones in the country. I mean, that doesn't necessarily translate to NFL draft stock per se. And he's not gonna, he's not what you, uh, when you dream up a linebacker nowadays at the pro level, he certainly doesn't fit that mold. But this dude, it's like Chris Borland. If you remember Chris Borland, the guy who uh-huh. actually quit football after a year with Wisconsin. Just incredibly productive. This, it, it, that's all he does is make tackles. He's he's Northwestern's. Oh my God, this guy is still in school. Guy too. He's been there for a thousand years. Start four year starter. Um, big big deal. And and that def- defense is what has allowed Northwestern to win these games because offensively it, it just isn't a. They're just not a good team. I mean yep. uh, the forty three point. Uh, outburst in week one against Northwest Minnesota. Oh my God. Maryland aside, um, they've yet to crack 27 points 
in the four games since. I mean, their four scores are 21-20, 21-13, 27-20, and 17-7. They are winning a lot of close games in which they win the turnover battle and control the time of possession. They're really fulfilling most um, Big Ten teams' dream seasons right now, where it's just a bunch of seniors gritting it out, uh, controlling the clock, control winning the turnover battle winning the time of yeah like i said time of possession running the ball a little bit playing some defense punting really well like that's that's what this team does and that's kind of all they do i don't want to call 5 and 0 a fluke cuz i don't think it's really fair to discredit five wins especially when they're against good teams in wisconsin iowa uh purdue looks at least decent um and then a maryland team that's that's done some really impressive stuff since the opener, but um, it, it's a tough. It, it's tough to say many other things about this because it, it's just not. It's just not an overly well, talented group. Yeah, they've yet to play an adult. They have not played right. a good team, and you, you know, listeners know how we feel about good teams. Michigan State's not one of them. Um, and but but we talk about if you add up the two teams' average in points you're going to get still under 42 points a game. And, and Northwestern is coming on the, with the third best defense in the country. Michigan State's 22nd best, according to Bill Connolly's SP+. So there's a really good chance they're going to finish under 42 points. For me, you know, the question becomes, we know what Northwestern's going to give you. Like, that seems pretty consistent at this point. Your boy, Peyton Ramsey at quarterback, is Mr. Consistency. My boy. My boy. <laughs> you know what you're going to get two, you know, a touchdown, a pick and, and maybe 209 yards. Right. Like, Do you want to know what Peyton Ramsey, here's what you need to know about Peyton Ramsey. They've played five games, five mm-hmm. games. He does not have a thousand yards passing. Amazing. That's Amazing. it. That's all you need to know. Oh, and so then you're at home and you're saying, oh, well, they must have a really good rushing offense. Nah, man, they're 80th in the country. They're not good. At, with the ball, unfortunately, in state, we're way worse. So that brings us to question, Austin: Who's going to start at quarterback this week? Uh, it's a great question. I am going to say that I think the week off was the best possible thing to happen for Peyton Thorne's ability to start. Mm-hmm. I think had it, had they played last week, I could have very easily seen Mel Tucker kind of going back to you know quote-unquote, what you know, sticking with the, the the guy you had at the start. But now that um, you've had an extra week to prep uh, Peyton Thorne, I think Peyton Thorne is, is probably your guy here. And to be honest with you, in a lot of ways, he's very similar to, to Peyton Ramsey, not only because they have the same first name, spelled a little different, but they're just similar types of, of quarterbacks. Um in what they can do, lack that top end arm strength, can move around a little bit, run. Um, Ramsey does have over a hundred yards rushing on the season for whatever that, that matters. Um, and yeah, it's, I think it's in the best interest of the program to turn it over to Thorne. You, you know what Rocky is. If he was a sophomore, I might feel a little bit differently, but at this point in time, he's had his chances and I think it's, it's time to give Thorne, uh, a crack. Um, yeah, I could see it. I will say I could see it going the other way only because it is such a good defense. I wouldn't be shocked if Rocky started, but if it was up to me, I'd go with Peyton Thorne. 
at this point, though, we saw Rocky Lombardi throwing into coverages that weren't even hidden. You know, we need yep. the other problem is, is Peyton Thorne has happy feet. You know, I I understand mm-hmm. that Indiana um, was able to pressure even Ohio State's quarterback, but Peyton Thorne is running out of the pocket as soon as he gets the ball. So, you know, if you're going to have a quarterback that's going to thrive on broken plays, then just move the pocket. Like, and, and again, that's asking a lot as a offensive coordinator is trying to like instill an offense. And then all of a sudden you're being asked to like <laughs> adjust to a brand new quarterback. But frankly, yep. you got to do something because guys, I hate to say it. I'm not saying I wish Dave Warner was back, but this offense. No, don't, don't. I'm not even saying that, but this offense is worse, worse than even his worst offenses right now. And, like, I don't know. I don't even know what to expect. It's just difficult to watch at this point and, like, frankly, a bit embarrassing. And I understand that there was, you know, no off season and it's a new playbook and all this stuff. But, like, guys, at the, at certain point, it becomes a little bit pathetic. So I'm hoping to, that this week off they were able to, you know, get some things under control and, and, and maybe put out a performance that we can be proud of. Yeah, I mean, I will say about – um Again, this isn't a particularly talented or good Northwestern team. Uh, I mean, that's, that's, that's one thing that's worth saying is that yes, they're five and oh, yes, they're ranked number 11 in the country, but pound for pound, I don't think they're that much more, if any at all, honestly, more talented than Michigan State. They just have experience. They have, um, you know, they've got a lot of upperclassmen playing, whereas MSU has really gone in the other direction of playing a lot of uh, younger players. Um, Jordan Simmons, I think, being the main example there, running back. Uh, and, and so this isn't an unwinnable game for Michigan State. It's just that Northwestern's probably a, a more mature, uh, better executing version of what MSU sort of is right now. Um I will give MSU this. This would be a great opportunity, a great um, – if you can pull out this win, beating a 5-0 and team uh, and really showing steps forward, I think it does a lot to get people feeling good again. Uh, but, yeah, to, to say we expect a win here, uh, no. I, I, I think the biggest thing MSU fans could look for is if this team can get a little bit going on offense, that's a very big deal because this is not um, – this is a very good defense they're going up against. So if Peyton Thorne, if they can move the pocket, if they show some signs of progress, like you said, I think there is a lot to be said for, for what that means going forward. Yeah, I mean, this is the worst team to be playing when your offense has struggled so much. But, I mean, guys, Michigan State hasn't scored in six straight quarters. I mean, <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> so, so... Wow. Make I did sure not I'm... realize that. <laughs> I didn't nope. realize that number, but boy, yeah, it's not ideal. Uh, yeah, it's not good, Austin. Um, that, and I think that's right. I have to look back, but uh, it, it feels bad. Maybe I'm, I'm, I, I, I potentially could be blurring my Michigan State Alliance fandom. So, you know. Mm, no, it sounds, it sounds right, but it's just not good. That's all I'm saying. It's not good. Anyway, um, Folks, I hope you enjoy your Thanksgiving weekend. Um, at the very least, we have hoops and football now. So just, you know, honestly, a couple months ago, we would have been shocked if you would have told us there was, we could be 
watching both of our our sons play in the hockey team too. So enjoy everybody. You know. Yes. Absolutely. Even even if it's a little different uh, Thanksgiving this year than normal, um, still enjoy, have a good time, eat something. It doesn't really matter like what it is. Just eat eat a lot of something um, <laughs> and enjoy Michigan State athletics. We're we're back. We're ready to go. So, uh, guys, as always, thank you for sticking with us. Have a have a wonderful holiday, and we will catch you guys next time. See ya.